Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 90 of Make Ours Marvel, and we are 10 episodes away from the big 100. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 more episodes. I don't know if it's like Y2K and everything dies. I don't, I, I don't know. But we're almost there. We have some ideas as to what we want to do, but I don't know if we're what we're doing but yeah yeah something. you and i talked about what i what episode 100 is going to look like but uh we'll, we'll we'll talk about it more when we get closer yeah sounds good uh but tonight we're still on uh april 1965 mm-hmm. round two second week round two out of three so it's millie the model and two gun kid and patsy walker that's what i've got we should do that on April Fools, except I just outed us, <laughs> and now now it won't work. But right, right, that would be really cool. Um, what do we have? We have me doing Sergeant Fury again. Sergeant Fury number nineteen, an eye for an eye. You'll never forget the roaring revenge of Nick Fury. Double exclamation point. Um, you'll relive the torment of warfare in this script by ex Sergeant Stan Lee. You'll see the blaze of battle in this artwork by ex Corporal Dick Ayers. You'll feel the drama of conflict in this inking by ex Corporal Frank Ray. I don't know why it took me so long to say Ray. You'll hear the sounds <laughs> of attack in this lettering by exquisite Sam Rosen. So if you all remember, there's a little continuity on this one. It's not just a standard fare because last issue, Nick's woman, Queen Elizabeth Pamela or something, uh, got killed in a raid while she was being a nurse. So he was going to propose. He was really into her. And guess what? Now he's furious because <laughs> I see what I did there. Um, he has got the commandos training hard, harder than they've ever trained before. So hard. In fact, that happy Sam Sawyer even takes notice. And he's like, listen, you need to let your guys relax. I'm ordering you all on, a furlough, which I assume is army for vacation or something. Uh, they're all like, yes. And Nick's like, no, I don't care. Um, and back at the barracks, they're like, come on, Nick, take a vacation. So I was like, no, I need to find the guy who led the raid that killed Pamela. And I'm doing it without you guys. And they're like, no, you're not. That's ridiculous because we love you, you old softy. And we're going to come with you and help. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, then he pretends to do the furlough thing. He and the boys, they dress up. They go to London. They say they'll be back. They're supposed to be gone for five days, you know, relaxing and kicking it up. But really what they do is immediately go to this place called the Plotter's Room, where I guess in London their their whole job is to figure out where air raids come from or where they're going to be coming from. Because, you know, London's getting bombed a lot at this point. They are. Um, and Dino uses his charm as a Hollywood heartthrob to get information about that particular raid. It's like a top secret thing from this cute lady. So that works. Then they go to the local bar and Nick goes, you know, has a heart to heart man to man with the guy who like has a plane that they can borrow. So the guy lets him borrow it. Um, so then they're in Germany and they're making their way there. They parachute out. They uh, meet up with what's his, what's the kid's name again? Hans or Franz or something like that. Hans. They meet up with Hans's dad, if we all recall. Agent X from Sergeant Fury number 15. Well, right. he helps them. He helps them. And he's like, how's my son? They're like, oh, your son's really great. We can't wait to tell him someday what a hero you are. He's like, yeah, but not yet. I'm still a traitor. So just let that happen. Okay. So then they get a car from him. They blow their way past the guards and the gates. They make it to 
They sneak their way through town at night and find a German bar where they promptly pick a fight and beat up all the Germans in the bar and then take the Germans' clothes. So now they look German. They go to the gate. Dino uses his German or his ability to speak German to get through. Um, and it's like a uh, an airbase. And at this airbase, there's this guy named General von Krumpt. And General von Krumpt is the worst of the Germans, the worst of the worst of the worst, because he loves – the whole thing about him is he wants to bomb civilians. Like, that's his thing. Kill as many civilians as possible, man. Let's target these civilians because that's how you win wars. Forget the soldiers. Let's kill the civilians. And he's so evil that, like, Hitler's going to give him an award and everything. Um so this is where the uh, Howlers split up from Nick. The Howlers' jobs are to go through on this airbase and, like, plant bombs on all the stationary parked planes. Uh, meanwhile, Nick looks for the head honcho, this uh, General Von Crump, finds him sleeping on the couch, is so furious that, like, you know, his entire color is red, and he puts the gun to the guy's head while he's sleeping, and he's going to kill him. But then, ah, uh, you know, the guy wakes up, and he's like, you get up, and you be a man. And he makes him put on his general outfit, and he puts him in a car and takes him to, like, this hangar that is, like, the guy's personal hangar that has a uh, biplane from World War One that the dude used to fly. Put a pin in that. Um, inside the hangar, the guy, like, challenges Nick's bravado. So Nick puts his gun down to get in a fist fight with him, but then the guy's like, psych i had another gun in my back pocket so he pulls it out and starts shooting at nick he hits nick in the arm uh meanwhile the howlers are also being attacked by or no they're like just knocking out the germans no the germans do figure out that they're there and they start fighting the howlers also but meanwhile back at the uh at the uh the barn or whatever nick with a bullet in his arm is trying to fist fight this guy he's doing a pretty good job but he does have a bullet in his arm so occasionally he messes up um at some point the guy jumps into his biplane and tries to get away, but Nick jumps on the wing and holds on all aerial acrobatic style. The guy tries to shake him off, but it doesn't work because he's Nick Fury. Nick Fury and the general struggle over the controls, uh, and the general wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So when the plane flips over, he falls out and falls to his death and dies. And Nick Fury manages to land the plane in the water. The howlers fish him out. When they come home, Happy Sam's like, you guys were supposed to be gone for five days. Why are you back so soon? It's like, oh, London was boring. It's like, oh, so is that why you went to Holland? And they're like, oh, you found out. And he's like, it's okay. I guess you guys just needed to get that out of your system. So, you know, I'll let you get by this time. And then he dismisses them. And then the last panel is Nick Fury's silhouette um, at Pamela's grave. And he's telling her, I had to do it, baby, for you. Uh, I just... Wanted you to know the end. So Fury has definitely been moving through the five stages of grief. He has moved past Nile and is living in this place called anger. I think he skipped most of them. Yeah. 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 I don't think he accomplished any of them, but the one. Yeah. We, we didn't see anything off, off panel between issues. It's been a while now since Pamela died. Um, I mean, it's kind of like they said at the last issue, like they sort of tease, like, how's he going to react? Right. Mm -hmm. And stupid me was like, it could happen. It could be anything, right? But of course, it's just going to be Fury. And that's what it was. And it's kind of like, I don't know. Maybe it would have been cooler if he was defeated or something. Or not the man he used to be. Yeah, not the man he used to be because he's just too sad to fight now. Or he doesn't care about anything now. Or he just goes into alcoholism and depression or something. But no, he's just going to be angry, which is kind of predictable and whatever. 
Uh, we got confirmation about uh, Hans, I think it's Roten's dad. Mm-hmm. It was strongly implied before. It's like they expected the readers to put two and two together on that previous mm-hmm. story, which I can respect. Yeah. Agent X. They sure like X a lot. Yes. What's mysterious? There's a lot of X's. Especially um, the ones that have men on them. Mm-hmm. Feeling a little tension in the story over whether Nick will actually kill that guy in cold blood was that pretty That was pretty good. cool. I was wondering about that. Like, if this was today, this story being written, would they have Nick shoot the guy in cold blood and would we care? Right. You know what I mean? I couldn't decide. Like, I can't decide if like, because like he deserves to die anyway. Or what? Who, who am I to say that? But like, I don't know that I'd bat an eye if this guy died. But at the same time, it's like, would a modern day Nick kill somebody, you know, point blank in their sleep? Or is that just too evil for him? Well, they go, th- they go through a lot to make him able to kill them or at least the other guy die and it mm-hmm. not be just cold-blooded murder. Yes, they do. And I was wondering, like, what is his plan here? To take him back? Or is he just looking for the opportunity to kill him in a way that's manly? Yeah, I don't know what his end game was. I mean, he went in there to confront him and then things just kind of kept happening. So mm-hmm. I guess he just wanted to fist fight him to death and then that didn't work out. Reb makes the comment on page eight. I declare, we all change clothes so many times, it's a pity we ain't in showbiz. And it's like, it's almost like you're superheroes or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's more invasion and getting into places, but this seemed to flow faster for some reason. I don't know mm-hmm. why. Just because they, they shortcut it now, or we're just so used to it. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really getting tired, and we're really going to talk about that in two issues, but I'm really getting tired of the pseudo-German, like, quick. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, they only recently started adopting it, I feel like. But now they're really being abusive with it to where I almost just skim over the balloons because it's like, if I can't understand them anyway, why am I reading it? You know, oh, you mean like the really heavily accented English? Oh, God, it's the worst. They should just be speaking German. Yeah. Why did they not stop? Dot is not our concern. You know, like, oh, my God, stop Mm -hmm. it. Stop it. Right. Killing me. Percy Pinkerton Mm -hmm. has an umbrella full of explosives. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine putting bombs in your umbrella and not fighting Batman with them? <laughs> Maybe he was a big Penguin fan. Oh, I love that idea. I mean, he is kind of, you know, uh, he's got the whole proper thing going on, just like the Penguin. And the Penguin was described as the Umbrella Man in the early stories. Like, that was his shtick. Mm-hmm. And you know, he always won, too. That's about as far as I in my Batman reading as I got chronologically until I stopped again. But like he was winning a lot that Penguin anyway, or never losing. You got losing. pretty far with your last attempt. Did you get to? I don't know. I got. I don't know where. I still have it bookmarked, so I could keep going, but I you just should. haven't yet. I just haven't yet. But yeah, Penguin was like never losing. He never won, but he never lost either. It's kind of interesting. So that's a really detailed gun on page thirteen. The drawing is. So I looked it up. It is mm-hmm. a pretty accurate Walter PPK, which I think is James Bond's gun. It's absolutely James Bond's gun. That's what Nick has? That's what the German officer okay. has. That makes more sense because it is a tiny concealable. That's what its kind of goal is. It's not like you could also uh, you know, shoot a guy in the arm and he could probably keep fist fighting you with it. So that actually makes a lot of sense. It's not like a gun that's going to stop you in your tracks per se. Now, I grew up with the understanding that Megatron on the Transformers, I knew that he turned into a Walter P-38. And I thought that Walter P-38 was James Bond gun. Somebody mm. told me at some point that Walter P-38 was James Bond's gun. 
And I looked it up as an adult and, you know, sure enough, it's not. But then over at Return to Cybertron Transformers UK podcast, I was reading some of the uh, other information in the comics and the editors, or maybe it's the Hasbro guy that wrote it a couple of times, also described the Walter P-38 as James Bond's gun. So oh. there's this like myth out there that Megatron yeah. transforms into James Bond's gun and he doesn't. He used a Beretta, he used a PPK, then I think he used a P99 or something like that in the modern movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I always, does the comics ever explain like how Megatron goes from a 70 foot robot to a little tiny gun or does that just not matter to anybody? It is never about that. explained. Size changing is just one of the things that happens when they transform. Okay. Because most of them like retain-ish what you think would be the same size, right? Um, not well, I guess kind of the, the modern movies are really good about maintaining scale with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of size changing in the modern movies. The geometry of the figures fits into the space that they occupy. If that makes sense. Like, but like Optimus is a semi truck and he's taller than Bumblebee. Who's a, you know, Volkswagen for instance. Right. Feel, Which is also true in the comics, but it's not quite the yeah. same scale. Okay. That just always bothered me that he just magically shrinks somehow, but whatever. No big mm-hmm. deal. Now he's a plane all the time, so it's okay. One of our listeners, James Hickson, who has the um, has a podcast about Marvel horror comics called, mm-hmm. I want to say, Tomb of Ideas. Yep. Okay. That was off the top of my head without looking it up, James. Sorry about that. Uh, he says that when you get to Sergeant Fury 19, I hope you mentioned the fact that they'd all be court-martialed and possibly imprisoned for pulling a stunt like that. Yeah, but they're the Howlers, and they're more valuable as the Howlers than in prison, I bet. Yeah. I wondered and, if that like if they would just like either go under Happy Sam's notice or like Sam Sawyer like wouldn't know but pretend not to. He did know in the end. But he did and he called them on. He's like, I'm not gonna ride you in for that little caper. And it's like, okay, I know y'all just broke major laws and also went <laughs> over and killed a guy. But, you know, what else? You had to you, you had to get it out of your system. They're superheroes. They can just do whatever. They are superheroes. There's no accords yet. Uh, no uh, Sokovian accords? <laughs> Sokovian accords for the Howlers. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to something strange? Yes, please. In your neighborhood. Although, wait, so is this the last Strange Tales also or next one? This is the last Torch story oh, okay. and Thing uh, story in the Strange yeah. Tales comic. So much like Giant Man, it goes out with a huge bang. Yeah. Enter <laughs> the Watcher. Oh, my God. Of course, hey, does this Strange say Tales. Enter the Watcher? It does. So this is one of those rare instances where the cover title is different than the inside title. Interesting. Oh, inside title is, hold on, The Challenge of the Watcher. Ooh. As in the torch and the thing face the challenge of the watcher. Interesting. So, take that, indexers. We envy you. We already read this fantasy field extravaganza, so we know the thrills and wonderment which await you. Read it slowly. Savor it. Linger lovingly over each ring-a-ding word, each power-packed picture. You'll be glad you did. Right. Uh, right. Soul-stirring script by Stan Lee. Breathtaking art by Bob Powell. Eye-popping inking by Wallace Wood. Wallace Wood inking Bob Powell's pencils. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And heart-rending lettering by Artie Simic. The Torch and the Thing are just hanging out. A couple of good old boys ain't doing no harm. When the Watcher shows up and's like, hey, got a challenge for the Fantastic Four. Go get your buddies. Let's go do this. And they're like, um, it's just us at the store today, Baldy. 
And Watcher's like, oh, well, I guess it's just you two. Then I have a challenge for the terrific twosome of the Torch and the Thing. Turns out Kang the Conqueror has gone back to the days of Merlin the Magician. He's causing all sorts of problems. So um, he is trying to conquer the era of King Arthur. And he has put Merlin, um, I think he's knocked him out or put him in a spell or something and imprisoned him. And so you need to go back in time and stop him because otherwise Kang is going to like conquer the entire world because he can do it. So they're like, sure, we'll do that. Let's all go back in time. So they do. They go back in time and they start fighting Arthurian knights and soldiers. And there's like um, uh, siege equipment they knock down and, and jousting stuff that they destroy. And they fight Kang. And Johnny goes and sees Merlin and um, sets him free. The thing wonders, hey, where did Johnny Storm go? I'm here trying to fight all these bad guys. And um, I think at one point, Johnny lost his ability to flame on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was flying through the sky right after they arrived. He turned into the torch and was flying through the sky. And King poked him with a, uh, a fake lance that completely extinguishes his flame and removes his ability to flame because future tech. So mm-hmm. Merlin uses the opposite of future tech, which is ancient magic, to restore his flying power, his flame power. So Torch comes back, things like, oh, yeah, you didn't run out on me. And um, they fight Kang. They beat up the castle and the soldiers that are fighting for Kang. Merlin's there doing magic. Kang's like, okay, I guess I'm going away. I want to pull the same trick I pulled back in the Avengers 8 and make my mask glow with radiation. And um, he hops into his time travel machine, flies away. Torch can't get it. Watcher's like, good job. I can take you home now. He does. Okay, next, Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Human Torch and Thing. Wow. Um, I don't the know, idea man. that Kang even knew what Torch and the Thing were was a little bit weird to me, but then I was like, oh, wait a second. Kang is Ramatut. Oh, good point. But that's not how they wrote this. They didn't know that. They did not know that. But I was thinking that, like, why does Kang care about killing the Fantastic Four when the Avengers are his enemy? Or stop. He just said stop people like the Fantastic Four. He like calls out specifically the Fantastic Four in his time travel caper. But hey, there mm. you go. Retcon. He's Ramatut. That works. Uatu, you're the worst non interfering person ever. Yeah. Like, Holy what crap is your problem? What Kang is, your deal? is like on a time changing history rewriting uh, extravaganza and no one has noticed yet. And I think that's what it is is the watcher sitting up there going, Waiting for a superhero to notice this is happening. Superhe- mm. Superheroes aren't noticing. They aren't noticing. Oh, you know, I've got I've to fix this before history changes forever. And no one's looking. So skadoosh. And he goes down. This is also, once again, something that kind of bothers me with time travel stories. is like the present and the past are somehow synced. Mm-hmm. Like really, Torch and things should just wake up and be under Kang's thrall. You know? Like, it should be right. done. But it's not. And it's like, oh, we better hurry up because he's just about to take over the world. And it's like, no, he's either already has or he's going to be stopped. It's not one or the other. And it's time travel. So you have plenty of time to get back there. You could go get Reed Richards and Sue Storm first if you wanted to and get the whole group together and then go back because he's just going back. So I've heard that phenomenon described as the past or the future, whatever you're traveling to, is a place. 
And like events are happening there while events are happening here. So you go to that place, AKA Mm -hmm. the past and Mm -hmm. fix the events because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is weird. It's also weird that Merlin is worried about Kang changing history because Kang is not in Merlin's time changing history from the perspective of Merlin. Mm. Kang is an invader attacking their castle and needs to be stopped because he's an invader. We've had a Merlin before. Mm-hmm. In Thor, and we decided that, that, that was, was a, a fake, fake Merlin. Fake Merlin, but then there's like an Earth Merlin, and then there's also like the Merlin that controls all of Captain Britain dimensions and Merlins or something. Isn't there mm-hmm. multiple Merlins? So this is just the Earth Merlin, or is this not even the real Merlin? I don't know. I was under the impression that the metaphysical Merlin was the same as the real Earth Merlin. Okay. Um, I'm doing a quick search on the uh, chronology websites to see which Merlin this is. And this is listed as being Mahayogi. This is the fake Mad Merlin. Oh, so the one we've already covered? No. But he was like, okay. This is when he's still back in time being the Mad Merlin. He has not faced Thor yet. So this is the fake Merlin who's pretending to be Merlin. But he's... Doing kind of a good job here. So he's not bad Merlin anymore? Well, I mean, I, I guess that before Merlin went to sleep and decided to be mad in the future, that he actually did a good job being fake Merlin for a while. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. Or you could just argue that he doesn't want Kang to win, whether he's good or bad. Kang, yeah. be, Kang winning is not good for him. So. And we're actually going to not see him again until X-Men 30. Okay. The X-Men Where's are going to deal with Merlin as well. Oh, great. Because that's a total X-Men story. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that was kind of a cool Merlin-Kang battle, but really it was mostly just like Kang saying, my tech is better and waving his hand. So in a way, it's just as magical as Merlin's magical. I did notice that there was no Black Knight in this story, and I looked at the continuity of King Arthur, and this is before the Black Knight makes his debut. Okay. I don't know exactly how that works, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think the list I'm looking at here with King Arthur is compatible with the list on the other thing with Mahayogi, actually. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I don't think there's anything else to say about this, except, okay. So when I think of early Marvel and I think of these beginning stories, I think of the Strange Tales Torch Run. Mm-hmm. It's 34 issues from 101 to 134, mm-hmm. which is pretty much three years. Mm-hmm. And then like after that, <laughs> after that is like, okay, now we're getting into real Marvel, which is really not fair because there's a lot of other real Marvel stuff going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but next month, this strip is getting replaced by Nick Fury, agent of shield. Mm. Uh, over Much at Chelsea Astonish. Yeah, it's it's an adventure story. It, it, it'll be fun. Uh, we're mm-hmm. getting Prince Namor over in Tales to Astonish. And I don't know, it's just like the real Marvel Universe is finally here. Well, like you've said about this book before, it often seems like a kid adventures. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where the real Marvel Universe comes from is once this is gone, it's like we don't have these weird kitty story adventures anymore. Right. Um, do we want to reflect like we did giant man? I think I have less to say, but I do think some things about this series. Okay. Like I mostly think of the wasted opportunity. Cause I really feel we've said this before. I really feel like this could have been so cool if they had done with Johnny 
what they do with Peter Parker, only Johnny has a public identity and he's famous. So there's even different problems, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see Johnny in school with friends. I mean, still being human torch, but like with that kind of drama and love life and stuff. And we never really got that. We got little hints of that, but like, why couldn't he, he was around before Peter Parker going to high school. Like he could have been a high school guy. So I wish they had done that. And otherwise I don't think this series was ever all that great. I don't remember anything really standing out. Uh, even when they add the thing, like, I think there was one issue where I found it enjoyable, but otherwise, eh, like it's just okay. Yeah. I think adding the thing was an interesting touch just to kind of keep things going. But bringing the thing into this did not do nearly as well as bringing Jan the Wasp into the Ant-Man series. Um, For two comic series that ran the same length of issues, Ant-Man, Giant-Man versus Torch and Thing, um, you know, they they both struggled. They both struggled to be be solid stories, but Ant-Man was more, a little bit more consistent. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a whole lot of positive to say about this. Um, when we first started covering it way back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, I was determined to to go in with a positive note, and it mm-hmm. became harder and harder to do as time <laughs> went on. I think one of the, also the biggest problems is like Fantastic Four is just generally a better book in terms of their interactions and characterizations. So, like, I'd rather just read Torch and Thing not getting along over there than here. Right. You know, and it's like, why not? Why are we just doubling this up? It's kind of weird. So often you had the same creative minds. I mean, Kirby has a lot of credits on this series. Mm-hmm. So you have Lee and Kirby doing this book at the same time that Lee and Kirby are doing the Fantastic Four. And it's just like, how does this happen? How do yeah. these two totally different kinds of stories come out of the same two brains? And it's it's baffling, honestly. Yeah. And if you remember, like Fantastic Four used to guest star in every issue for so many issues. I think, so it's like, yeah, they make cameos in almost every single solitary so story. It just seems superfluous. Like, why not just have a Fantastic Four book? Forget mm-hmm. this. Forget this weirdness. Unless you're going to do something specific with Teenage Johnny, and they just don't. They don't really play that up at all. Other than Reed dismissing him as immature in this book and never doing that in the Fantastic Four. And you know the Avengers is a gathering together of heroes mm-hmm. whom we also see in their solo adventures. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the same characters. Mm-hmm. This does not feel like the solo adventures of the torch who is in the fantastic four. It doesn't, they treat him different. It's weird. Mm-hmm. He's written different. His personality is a pa- really a pastiche of uh-huh. the one we get in the fantastic four. Okay. Well, good riddance, I guess. Yeah, that is gone. Um, there's not another solo human torch story for a very long time. He does. He's kind of a distant second stringer in Marvel team up. Marvel team up started out as a Spider-Man torch team up book. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Spider-Man would give the occasional month over to torch for a team up story. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of, like I said, a distant second person in Marvel team up, but um, that's the closest we'll have to solo torch for decades. Mm-hmm. All right. Doctor Strange, Doctor Master Strange. of the Mystic Arts. Earth be my battleground. Not if Earth be my battleground. It's just like talking to the Earth. Hey, Earth, you know what you need to do? <laughs> be my battleground. Uh, that's not true either because there should be a comma if you're going to do that, right? That's true. So this Earth is be. weird. Earth be. 
Written by Marvel's own living legend, Stan Lee. Illustrated by Marvel's own unsung genius, Steve Ditko. Lettered by Marvel's own beaming pixie. (laughs) Okay. I don't even know. (laughs) Artie Simic. (laughs) What are they trying to say about him? So, Doctor Strange has finally stopped bouncing around like Sam Beckett and is back on Earth. And kind of like in a similar previous story, he decides to go check out his home. He puts on a disguise. He can't go back to his home. So he goes and gets a room somewhere and sends his ectoplasmic spirit form to go check on the Ancient One. So in Tibet, the Ancient One is still mostly unconscious, being ministered to by a servant. And uh, he says stuff about eternity. And Doctor Strange is like, okay, well, um, I'm going to shine my light on him to see if he can be made better. But I don't want to give him too much. I don't want to kill him. And meanwhile, okay, that attorney thing, I guess I'll go figure that out. He goes and looks at all the uh, Ancient One's books, finds no mentions of eternity. Mm -hmm. And then um, he goes through a wall and sees, oh my gosh, it's one of the demons from Baron Mordo. And so Baron Mordo gets a signal. One of the spirits has finally found him. And Dormammu's on the Skype screen and says, okay, going to give you all my power to go fight Doctor Strange. So Baron Mordo sends his ectoplasmic form out with all the demon spirit forms. And they go after Doctor Strange. Meanwhile, in the dark dimension, the unnamed white-haired woman is watching Dormammu get so excited. And um, she decides that she's going to try to help, but we don't see what she does yet. Uh, spirit form of Doctor Strange starts fighting all the spirit forms of all the demons. Uh, they do it in magical places. They do it in normal places where no one can see them. They do it in boats. They do it in sharks. They're fighting all these places. Oh, and the um, unnamed mystery woman goes to the barrier between the dark dimension and the realm of the mindless ones. And she has a device that is able to weaken that barrier until finally the mindless ones, these uh, much more sinister than moloids or anything or humanoids or anything else, um, start pouring through the dark dimension. And Dormammu's like, oh, oh shit, Baron Mordo, you, you keep fighting. I'll be back. I got to go see about a thing. And he disappears. And Mordo's like, Dormammu, wait, come back. I can't fight without you. And so Dormammu has to go back and overpower the mindless ones again, considers them brainless cattle. Um, mysterious nameless woman hopes that she doesn't get found out. Doctor Strange lures all of the demons and um, Baron Mordo's spirit form out into space. He flies into the sun. And if they get too far into the core of the sun... Even their ectoplasmic forms will disintegrate. So they do have some sort of physical, chemical existence that will be obliterated by the heat at the core of the sun. So Doctor Strange is like, fine, Mordo, you follow me. We're going to go into the sun and die together. And Mordo's like, Psh, I ain't doing that. I want to go back home. Following you. Strange is like, whew, I don't have to go into the sun now. I can go back to Earth and I won't get found because... He'd only been found by chance. So now he's all uh, able to stay secret again. He goes back to the ancient one. Ancient one's still sick. So he goes back to his home, his hotel he's staying in, grabs his body. And he's like, I guess I've got to go find eternity. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Dormammu's like, um, Baron Mordo, why didn't you kill Doctor Strange? I guess we'll have to try again next issue. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Uh, 
This is pretty cool. I liked the sun stuff. I mm. liked Clea helping. I really liked the mindless ones, especially that panel on the top of page six. Um, it was a nice callback. Yes. There were, there were lots of really cool things that happened in this. It's funny you said Sam Beckett because I was thinking that too. Like I thought we were going to get more dimension hopping. We just got the one. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of glad we didn't get more dimension hopping because the one was kind of a throwaway and not that interesting to me. I wanted to get back to this. So it's like he just took a break and then he got back to the real story. Which was, yeah. Which I'm yeah, fine I, with. I, I don't know why he took that detour, but I'm glad he's back. But before we go on, mm-hmm. I have a bone to pick with you and with the listeners. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So obviously we love Doctor Strange here on Make Ours Marvel, especially his portrayal in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I've been like giving credit to the actor every time we do one of these stories. But it turns out I've been saying his name wrong. All this time. Yes. I meant to. I didn't uh, realize. You know, I was going to get around to telling you eventually. I guess I did, but, uh, you know, I just didn't have the heart. Well, I I guess I I was surprised. Like, no one ever wrote in to correct me. You never said anything. So, just to set the record straight, in this last issue that he shares with the Human Torch, we love Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, and he is great. And I can't wait, cannot wait to see his sequel. Yes. That's going to be really fun. I like the first uh, one. Yeah. So with that out of the way, um, what other things stood out for you in this book? story? Um, Eternity. Much more Eternity in this one. Um, I mean, Was he's it not weird me. that there were no mentions whatsoever in all of the Ancient One's books of Eternity? Then how does, Etern- then how does the Ancient One know about Eternity? I don't know. I did think, it, I just, for funnies, he's like, he says something like, it must be important because the master said it. It's like, yeah, but the masters have conscious. What if he just said, like, you know, yogurt? Would you be all over that? But eternity right. does, does sound pretty ominous, so I guess Seek you should care. yogurt. And they were like a Spaceballs sequel or something. <laughs> right. I guess prequel. Um, I liked the artifact of the Eye of Agamotto floating out of the amulet up onto his forehead. Mm, that is pretty cool. So he reads books without touching them. Yeah, so he just like he can Superman scan the pages. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I like what's her face, Clea, um, taking some ownership and like not defeating Dormammu, but definitely putting a pause in his plans. That was really and her smart. motivations were he befriended me that one time. I need to go help him, which I like so much more than I met him that one time and now love him with all my heart. Yeah, she was also impressed that he stood up to Dormammu, even though that probably meant his death, just to save Earth right. too. Which was also cool. a good reason to help him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was actually a pretty cool plan too. Like try and free those guys because you know that means Dormammu has to put all his energies into putting him back in their prison, distract him so, from attacking Doctor Strange. Yeah, so he can't feed uh, Mordo Mordo his powers anymore. That was cool. Now I'm a little confused, Mike, about how oaths work. Oaths, okay, because it's kind of like says, not lying. Yeah, well. I read recently something that I kind of liked is that, you know, everyone says stuff and everyone <laughs> lies occasionally, uh-huh. but there's some sort of like social contract and understanding that whenever you say, I promise, or I swear, you're giving extra moral weight to whatever you're about to say. Right. And I can dig that. We've talked before about like what even is a promise. And I I liked that particular way of it being treated. So Dormammu has given Dr. Strange his oath not to invade earth. 
But his logic is, yeah, but if Doctor Strange dies, I don't have to keep that oath anymore. Is that how oaths work? I don't know. I was wondering that myself when he said that initially. Like, if I'm dying on my deathbed and you promise me to keep this podcast up forever, and the next Friday rolls around, you're like, (laughs) guess I don't have to do that anymore. Right. That seems not very cool. That doesn't seem like an oath. Seems like like he didn't say he didn't say I promise I won't attack Earth so long as you defend it. Right. He just said I promise to never attack Earth because you helped me with the nameless ones. So yeah, that seems like a slippery little whatever. And if you're going to be slippery about it, why even keep the promise in the first place? You know. Yeah. Which I'm genuinely curious because I don't know how we get to Dormammu attacking Earth again. Like they're making a big deal about his oath and Doctor Strange not dying anytime soon. Yeah. So I don't know how we're going to get back to, let's attack Earth. Well, maybe Dormammu realizes he's evil and doesn't have to follow oaths. <laughs> because it turns out, if you're evil, <laughs> breaking oaths is one of those things you do. Right? <laughs> uh, but I thought it was a merry little chase chapter. Didn't really accomplish much. Like, uh, honestly, everything is back in exactly the same spot it was <laughs> that seems when the chapter happening. opened. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or is that just me? Like, he seems to be resetting it over and over again, kind of. It's meandering a little bit. A little bit. I think we're just having, we haven't really, it's called the Eternity Saga, but we just found out what Eternity was. We haven't really moved the plot forward that much. I think we're just having fun telling stories in a structure. Maybe Eternity means we're never going to end this story. It's just going to keep doing this forever. That's possible. Yeah. I would not put it past them. Yeah. Not a lot of suspense going on. Oh, like 67? Yeah, that's a segue if I ever wrote one. <laughs> Tales of Suspense, number 67. There's a lot of words on the cover I'm not going to bother with. Uh, oh, I forgot, though. Like Strange Tales didn't even put Doctor Strange on the cover. That was a new one, right? Yeah, they put a little blob saying, yeah, he's in this issue, but we didn't have room for him on the cover. We would much rather cover the, co- cover the cover with random knights and dudes and the Watcher's really huge head. So initially, these split books... The covers were literally split down the middle. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was awkward layouts. And I feel like the artists do too, because we're getting away from that now a little bit. Like this one, even this Tales of Suspense, it's like three quarters Iron Man and then a little snippet of Cap on the bottom. The last Hulk and Giant Man, same thing. It was like a lot of Hulk, a little bit of Giant Man. Uh, I think pretty soon all these split covers are going to just stop being split covers and they're going to start alternating or something. Right, which gives you better covers, but I don't like that Like don't, one of the main features of the book is completely ignored on the cover. Yeah, I kind of agree too. You don't know like what's going on with Cap when it's an Iron Man cover. Like, right, who does there he are pros find? and cons there. Yeah. I think Captain America's reunion with the Red Skull is an Iron Man cover. Yeah, that's really sad when you're like a cap collector and it's a really good issue, but Iron Man's on the cover. It's kind of, mm-hmm. aw. Uh, they should have done a flip. Like the back is a cover of cap and the front is Iron Man, but that probably would have cost money in ad space. So can't do I'm that. I'm sorry. Are you 90s image? Yeah. Perfect. Because <laughs> I just, just before we started recording, I read Death Blow 3 and Cyber Nerd oh, 3. And that's a yeah. flip book. That's what they did, huh? Yep. All right. Where Walks the Villains is the Iron Man story tonight. It's written by our roguish writer, Stan Lee, penciled by our prankish penciler. That's hard to say. Prankish penciler, Don Heck, inked by our impish inker, Mickey DeMeo, lettered by our other letterer, Sam Rosen, and read by our rollicking reader, you. So we start, if you all remember correctly, uh, happy uh, left because he's tired of Pepper always 
sighing about Tony Stark, and he's tired of Tony Stark never never letting him drive or test submarines. So he just packed up and he left. And so we start with Pepper crying over his picture and Iron Man standing there and he's like, this sucks, huh? She's like, I hate you. I've always hated you. You're a weird, cold robot. And I don't understand how, uh, you know, Tony lets you do everything. You should have let him, you should have let Happy, like, test the submarine. He's like, yeah, but it exploded. So he'd be dead. Oh, fine. Have that argument. I don't care. Get out of my face. And he's willing to do that anyway, because he needs to charge. So he leaves. Uh, Meanwhile, we cut to Happy, who's not just leaving, but he's leaving the country. He's going back to Ireland. Uh, Tony charges. And as he's charging, we cut to coast of Norway, where we meet our old friend, Count Nefaria. But you know what? He doesn't want to be head of the Magia anymore. Magia, Magia, whatever, mob. He wants to do something new. He wants to get vengeance on the Avengers. So he added earrings and a cape and he created us invention and he's now going to call himself the master of dreams. What does the master of dreams do? The master of dreams has technology that I think somehow lets the bad, the people he wants to dream dream, but it also can kill them while they're dreaming. It doesn't really get much into it. It's just sciencey stuff. Um, he does a test and Iron Man, who was charging, is suddenly on a bridge. And the unicorn's there. And behind him is the uh, Crimson Dynamo. And they start fighting. And then he wakes up. And he's like, well, that was weird. That seemed really real. But I guess it wasn't. Um, but anyway, I'm charged now. So I'm going to go find Happy. So he magnets himself to a uh, trans-oceanic jet and goes to Ireland and he shows up as Iron Man in Happy's house, or not Happy's house, Happy's grandfather's house, because that's where Happy went. And Happy's grandfather is like, you know, this racist character of Ireland. And like, oh my gosh, it's Iron Man. Ah. But Happy's having none of it. If you really wanted me, you know, you only want me back because she's crying. And uh, it's because Stark won't date her. And I don't want anything to do with this. So uh, me and grandpa are leaving. So Iron Man's like, hmm, I don't know what to do. So he sits down by the hearth. And that's when the Master of Dreams uh, presses a button again. And next thing you know, he's in a dream. And there's the Crimson Dynamo again. Um, But now there's also Jack Frost. And Jack Frost, like, freezes him. And then there's Gargantus. Remember Gargantus? He suddenly shows up and he whacks him. And he tries to throw a boulder on him. But... You know, Iron Man sort of like blocks it, but then falls down a cliff. And at first he's like, well, I know this is a dream because this makes no sense. So I should just let myself fall. And then when I seemingly die, I'll wake up because that's how dreams work. But this dream feels strange. And I'm not sure if that's really going to happen. I feel like it's worse than a dream. So luckily he doesn't do that and saves himself. Uh, And then he's fighting. uh, I don't even know. The Melter? Yeah. Um, and then he's fighting the Black Knight, and then they're all ganging up on him. Um, and meanwhile, the dream guy or the dream master is like, this isn't working. He was supposed to just let them kill him because he thought it was a dream, but he's believing that it's real. So he's fighting back and my machine can't take that. So at some point he starts winning. He knocks out Gargantus. He melts Jack Frost. He gets into a mono mono armor fight with uh, Crimson Dynamo, but he believes that his armor is just legitimately better. So in the dream, it is legitimately better and just totally fries Crimson Dynamo, which in turn causes feedback on the Dream Master's machine and it blows him up. 
uh, Iron Man wakes up and goes, that really was a weird dream. I don't know what's happening. Oh, look, Grandpa and Happy are back. So he eavesdrops and Happy's on the phone with Pepper. And she's like – and he's like, wow, you were willing to pay a long-distance call to call me? I guess you do like me. I will return. And Iron, <laughs> and Iron Man's like, I guess I didn't need to be here after all. And then it cuts to the Dream Master like seemingly you know, dead or unconscious in his laboratory with a caption that Iron Man will never know his true foe. The end. Yeah. Yikes. Kinda. Except for the happy stuff. I like that, but. Yeah, like the subplots in this were much better than the actual story. I don't like the weird computer dream thing that doesn't really make sense. I don't know. And I saw the cover of this issue and thought, yeah, I don't think all those bad guys are going to be real. And open up and sure enough, they're not real. No. And so when it's not real, it's like, do we even care? Hey, remember that time that you were head of the mob Uh and you lost that job? Uh-huh. And so you gave yourself dream powers? Yeah, that's that's what's so weird about this. Like, he has that ability? He could just invent a dream machine? <laughs> yeah. Like, Count Nefaria, I... Until he becomes Superman, he's pretty lame. Yeah. He has several stories, not a lot, uh-huh. but a handful in the Silver and Bronze Age. And the ones I know best are the, two, uh, the two-part X-Men story, when the X-Men relaunch... And then the other X-Men story in like the 20s where he has like all the the henchmen, mm-hmm. um, the plant man and, and porcupine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that I think of the most of the Nefaria. And in both of those, he's just a dude in a suit with a monocle. Mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, of course, he gets superpowers. Mm-hmm. But here, this is like a really weird one-off Why does he think the direction? Master of Dreams sounds cooler than Count Nefaria, by the way? It doesn't. I don't know, because... It doesn't. <laughs> He's got a really cool name already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't like the whole, like, none of this really ha- – like, if you're going to do a dream thing, at least tap into the character's psychosis or something and have him deal mm-hmm. and have him deal with things. But all he's doing is fighting bad guys he's fought before. And at the same time, we know he's not really fighting them. So it's like, Right. Whatever. So it's all just much to do about nothing. Kind of. I mean, he could die, I guess, if he doesn't fight, but – yeah, they try to Freddy Krueger it up, but like we're not believing that that's going to happen. No. Not that we believe he could ever die, but still it just, I don't know, mm-hmm. it never feels like a threat. End game. Um, we get some Pepper and Iron Man friction, though. I don't think, I mean, I know she doesn't. she's never liked him, and she didn't like him a lot when Tony Stark was missing, but she's still not liking him, and he's just standing around for some reason as Iron Man to be yelled at, but that was fun stuff. Yeah, hatred of Iron Man has definitely become a very real part of their lives. Ever since the whole... Tony Stark is missing, then dead, then sick, then dead again. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not been fans of Iron Man, which is an interesting way to play it. Like, well, it kind of makes sense. Everyone loves since a superhero. Nobody knows who he is, and he seems to have mm-hmm. a lot of pull over the owner. So he is literally a faceless individual. No one knows who's behind the mask. Uh-huh. They have to call him Iron Man yeah. because they don't know him as Kevin. Kevin. That'd be cool if his name was Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Happy's Irish. Makes sense. His last name's Hogan. Yeah. Very uh, Irish in this. Very Irish. His grandpa's very, very Irish in this. Pagoda, me boy. Um, yep. Yep. Otherwise, I don't know what else to say. It was. I, I guess it's interesting to see all the old villains. Like, I can't believe they decided Gargantu- Gargantus was worth being in the dream uh i forgot that about the a, unicorn that was a deep cut deep cut yeah that's a good way to put it unicorn uh 
The guy on the cover is not in here. The guy, I don't know what his name is. Tyrannus or something? The guy with the horns? I'm going back to the cover now. Uh, um, I forget his name. I don't think he's in the issue, though. Oh, I don't. Wasn't he? What the heck is that guy's name? Who is he? <laughs> was he from? Was he from like Kala, Queen of the Netherworld, or something? I don't know. Was he a colossus on an island? I don't. I don't remember. I don't know who that is. I don't know either. But he doesn't show up in here. But uh, yeah, we get Jack Frost okay. and stuff instead. That's kind of better. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. What else you got? Nothing. Um, I think I've got Captain America. Captain America. That's better. Less tyranny triumph. Uh, story and art by Stan and Lee and Jack Kirby, inking Frank Ray, lettering Artie Simek. They didn't even have time to be clever because we are off and rolling. Big splash page of Cap in a training room working with Nazis to beat up dummies and machine guns. And everybody's like, yeah, it's really cool to have you on our side now, Cap. And he's like, hail Red Skull. Um, and then he's like, Red Skull's like, now quickly, here is a picture of the Prime Minister of Malaysia. And, you know... He pulls up – it's not really that. That was a Zoolander cut. But uh, he uh, pulls up a picture of a top military U.S. commander and Captain America immediately draws the gun and fires and kills him. And he's like, yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. Cut to where has Bucky been? Well, Bucky's been in prison with a bunch of other POWs and they're lining him up against the wall and they're talking about how they're going to kill him. And then they all fire and it's blanks and they go, ha, 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 we just like to watch you guys squirm and we're going to do this again and again and again until you're just – fried and cracked and Bucky's like hey guys they don't have bullets and everybody goes oh yeah and so they fight them and beat them up and take their guns and you know that was stupid so (laughs) they put them all in jail and stuff and Bucky throws a big bomb in there and kills them all because he's awesome and then meanwhile we cut to uh, Adolf Hitler who's once again having a tantrum because that seems to be his one note in these stories and in the secret panel of his library the red skull pops in his head and red and adolf hitler is like oh i hate that you know about that secret you're actually getting more powerful than i wanted you to be it's kind of annoying and then out from that panel walks captain america and adolf jumps behind a chair and he's like no my greatest enemy i'm so scared but the red skull is like no no look he's under my thrall and that <laughs> adolf's like oh that's cool i can finally punch him in the face like i've always wanted to and he tries but Cap raises his shield and breaks his hand, and the Red Skull's like, eh, he's under my thrall, but, you know, he still has reflexes, so that was stupid. So Adolf gets mad, tells him to go, get out. Um, meanwhile, Bucky's spying around. He knocks a dude out, pulls him behind a curtain, and puts on his outfit, joins the group that is going to es- escort Captain America to do this nefarious German mission. They fly to London, where they jump out of the planes, and they infiltrate the city. And at that point, Bucky outs himself and tries to, you know, reason with Cap. Because like, Cap doesn't recognize Bucky the entire time. And Bucky's like, this dude looks brainwashed. Something's wrong. So finally, he outs himself and starts punching. And he's like, Cap, Cap, remember who you are. You got to stop him. But it doesn't work. And they all like kind of tackle on him. But as Cap and a, and a platoon leave, like the guys beating on Bucky get the tables turned on him. And he uh, fights back and shoots him down and knocks him out. Um, but meanwhile, Bucky actually gets to be cool in this issue because Bucky's awesome. And then, uh, but cap and a couple soldiers make it to the room with the Colonel and cap pulls the gun and the German behind him is like, you have to do it. You have to do it. The Red Skull says you have to do it. But caps like, I, I can't must resist. And the 
German guy's like, uh-oh, the drugs are wearing off or something, or either that or he's a true American, but I'll do it for him. And he reaches his hand around and puts it over Cap's hand, and the gun fires, and to be continued. Dun-dun-dun. Super cool issue, I think, but... Yeah, this was this is one of the... Maybe my favorite issue we've done so far, honestly, of this series. Yeah. Uh, of Captain America's. Yeah. Because you had all those silly action sets in the pre- uh, present day. Mm-hmm. And then we've gone to the past now. And this is the best one of those so far. Yeah. Well, uh, one out of two, because basically the rest were just recreations. But yeah. Uh, but still, count- counting those stories as stories. Uh-huh. Now, there are some si- si- silly points to it. Like, I don't know what planet you're on where shooting a picture is a test of someone's willingness to shoot a person. Yeah. I mean, I can shoot a picture of, you know, my Anybody. best friend. Yeah. I, th- I feel like I could actually do that. It would feel a little bit weird, but it wouldn't be hard. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly under their, their uh, you know, hypnosis, but that is kind of weird. Bucky actually looks older than 10 in this. He looks pretty cool. He gets to do a lot of really neat things. Um, he kind of leads the action in this, and he does it as a believable teenager bucky older teenager. is like i know he's a he's a uh you know rip off of robin mm-hmm. obviously um but and maybe i'm just having rose colored glasses here but even reading the golden age i remember i know they wrote him young and he's supposed to be young but i always felt like they wrote him like they were equals more than it was like little buddy you know mm-hmm. like they were brothers who just uh uh you know busted each other's chops and stuff. And even though Bucky did get captured a lot, I feel like we read issues where Cap got captured and Bucky saved him too. So it was a little less, you know, you know, boy hostage and more like, I mean, he's not equal because he's Bucky the sidekick and stuff, but it's just, just like this uh, stuff right here was just really cool. And uh, um, I do think it's cooler when he's more the same age as Steve uh, as they retcon through the years and eventually even like the MCU outright, just make him the same age and buddies. Cause they kind of merge him with some other character named Arnie Roth. Who's felt that fit that role, you know? So like, I don't know. Bucky's awesome is all I'm trying to say. And he was pretty awesome in this issue. And the f- just, this is a Bucky centric chapter. I mean, it Captain is. America is a pawn of the red skull. Bucky's like leading the plot. Mm-hmm. He's kicking, butt. he's taking names and there's a really solid dramatic moment at the end. He's kicking a lot of serious butt too, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he straight up blows this one guy away. We, we've made fun of this book for like not even letting the Red Skull kill people, but Bucky just kills someone on page nine. Like he shoots off panel, but like that guy had to not be alive anymore. He throws a grenade into a room full of people. Yeah. Um, After he puts him in prison. <laughs> there's, there's, it's there's, very there's dangerous. Sort of, <laughs> it's sort of a touching moment where he's on the plane with Cap. Mm-hmm. And Cap looks at him and looks right through and doesn't even recognize his face. Mm-hmm. But um, but even then, he's like infiltrating it to get along to get there and like stop him. It's just like all awesome, man. We should just do Bucky stories and Tales of Suspense, maybe. <laughs> um, I love like I don't know if I love, but it is funny like that Adolf Hitler is just comic relief in this. Essentially, he is. Well, this is where we first get the idea that maybe he has trained Red Skull a bit too well. Mm-hmm. That now he's a little bit fearful of Red Skull. And I think that, like, Marvel runs with this. That Red Skull is more Nazi than Hitler. Do you want to know what my favorite, why the Red Skull is my favorite evil German Nazi? Why? Because he doesn't speak weird German dialect. Oh, yeah. 
why does he not? I don't know, but I don't care. I'm just glad I can read his balloons without having to translate. And see, the thing is, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable imagining in my head a German accent on the Red Skull. Uh-huh, of course. But that doesn't matter that, like, you have to have him written so dumbly. <laughs> yeah, you and your vermint troopers, can I have no secrets from you since I trained you to be my private weapon? You have become too powerful. Oh, stop it. Anyway. And I don't know why they chose that. I don't know why they chose to give him regular speech balloons in this. Because if they hadn't, if they had given him stilted German in this, mm-hmm. it would have been that way forever. I feel like he's he doesn't ever talk. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say never because I'm not that confident. But I don't feel like he talks stilted German often that I remember. But No, no. like Well, he didn't in the gold age either, which may be part of why they don't give it to him here. Mm. Um, but it's like... 1980s, you have Red Skull stories. He would still be speaking German patois, but mm-hmm. he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty simple chapter. It's really, really cool. It's very badass with Bucky. I don't have a whole lot else to say about it, it except that all, I... It was too quick. That's all I have to say about it. It was very quick. 10 pages is not a lot of room. Um, Iron Man and <laughs> starting next month, Namor are always going to have more pages than Hulk and Cap will have. Which is really sad because Iron Man's was at about a, about a silly dream that we didn't care. So they could have really cut him back to 10 pages this week and given us, <laughs> given us would, more Bucky killing people. I would have been happy. Yes. Um, I am predicting. I don't think I remember this. I think I'm just guessing that Bucky's going to dash into the room and um, stop Cap from killing the guy. He's going to knock the arm just as it fires. I thought he put his hand over the bullet and it blew through his hand, and that's why he has armored arm now or something, no? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why. Oh, okay. Red marks the star where I touched a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh, so, yeah. Solid, solid story. Is that is that our issue? That's our month. Not our month. Got one more week, one more episode for that. But yeah, six down, three more to go. You know, it's it's getting more common that we're getting these, these episodes right at an hour again. Mm-hmm. Um, when we when we get another book on our list, we might be able to go four every now and then. I don't know. I have to see. It kind of just depends. It's weird because sometimes I look at the matchup for the night and it's like, oh yeah, those three not so great. But then like the next episode, oh those three are all great. So then we're going to talk about them a lot. So it really just depends. Like next yeah. next episode, for instance, if you want me to tell what it is. Yeah, what are we doing next week? It's going to be Fantastic Four number 40, which is uh, uh, the continuation of the Battle of the Baxter Building with Doctor Doom and Daredevil helping them and stuff like that. And it's going to be Avengers number 17, which will be the first uh, 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 kooky quartet going after theoretically Hulk, but also fighting some guy named Minotaur. And it will be Amazing Spider-Man number 26, which will be the man in the Crime Master's mask. So you it also has Green Goblin, but you weren't kidding. It's already yes. on a downward spiral, looks like. But those three. Uh, like, it's, it's not a bad two-parter. But those three, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Spider-Man, all in one episode. It's like, gosh, we should have spaced that out a little bit because you know we're going to talk about those a lot. <laughs> More than Strange Tales. Well, we um, have had a little bit of a light 
uh, activity on Twitter since our last recording mm-hmm. and that we have not had any new follows or new likes, mainly because our last recording was about 90 minutes ago. <laughs> Hurry up, so, people. Um, yeah, you, you, you get more. Oh, lies. We've had one follow. Yeah. Amanda has followed us. She is at a Jacoby 97. Mm. Um, so yeah, thank you for following us, Amanda. She's a WWE fan. Oh, she's got, yeah, I just, she's our one follow. So I was just browsing her timeline there. Um, okay. So you should go follow us on our website. And what is our website? Makearsmarble.com. You can find a link to Twitter to follow us or Facebook to follow us, or you could just subscribe to our feeds, the many links to various feeds on there. You could follow us that way. Um, or just type make ours Marvel in your favorite podcast app. We should be in there. If we're not in there, write me podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And if you can't remember that, just go to makearsmarvel.com and there's a contact form you can fill out and send it my way that way too. Or just write us a letter because we like letters. Send it to us um, to buy, buy a carrier pigeon. Well, we'll receive yeah. it. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My other stuff, Return to Cybertron, Transformers UK podcast at TFUK podcast. All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches. My tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda. And um, yes, we will be here next week with three more comics from the month of April 1965. So until then, or until Count Nefaria can beat Thor in a fight, make ours marvel. marvel.